Church, we are so glad every one of you are with us today, worshiping with us, uh, whether you're on site or whether you're online with us, we're glad that you've chosen to, to worship with your first church family. Matter of fact, if you're in the room with me right now, would you welcome all of our online family? Yeah, yeah. We're glad you're here. Glad you're a part of our time today. Man, what an incredible time of worship to, to get us going here this morning, and hopefully it was a blessing for you, all right? Hey, over the last several weeks, we've been in a series called Reset, and I've been looking at different ways that God, I believe, is calling us from time to time to, to do a reset on our life, reset, reset in, 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 in uh, our spiritual walk, in our relationship with Him. And so we've hit on several different things. Last week, we talked about reset worship, and uh, looked at uh, just really the call to, to look at how we worship. And, and why we worship and everything. And, and I was so, I've been so proud of some of you. I mean, I've seen some of you carrying some wood. If you're here last week, you know what I'm talking about. I challenged you. If you're not a hand raiser, at least try to carry some wood, all right? Get them up there. But uh, uh, last week, it was pretty fun, that last song, seeing some of you doing that. It was awesome. You were listening. It was great. But anyway, hey, this week we're going to be talking about Reset Gospel. Reset gospel. Because sometimes as a church, sometimes as individuals, we lose sight of, we lose focus of the gospel, the very message that we have to proclaim in this world. And so, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 here in just a little bit. If you want to get there or follow on the app, we'll have it there as well. And uh, that's where we're going to be spending our time at today. Now, uh, Randy Alcorn, he wrote a book by the name, just simple name of Heaven. All right, And in that book, he talks about that, how every one of us have a sense inside of us that there is something beyond this life, that there is something beyond this world, this existence that, that we have right now. And so he, he challenges us to, to, to really press into that. And, and one of the things that he does in his book is he outlines how some of the people groups in the past through studies, they, how they pressed into this idea that there's something else out there, this eternal existence, that their belief that there was some sort of a, a heaven or something beyond this life. And so he shares that the, it was the Australians, uh, the Australian Aborigines pictured heaven as a distant island beyond the western horizon. The early Finns thought it was a distant island in the faraway east. Mexicans, Peruvians, Polynesians believed that, there were, that, that they went to the sun or, or to the moon after death. Native Americans have had the belief that there is in, in the afterlife and that their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffalo. The Gilgamesh epic, an ancient Babylonian legend, refers to a resting place of the heroes that hints to a tree of life. The, the, the pyramids of Egypt, there you'll find the embalmed bodies of, of kings and others, and there they, they will have maps that are laid beside them as guides to the future world. The Romans believed that the, that the righteous would picnic in the Elysian fields while their horses grazed nearby. Oh, isn't that neat? And then there was Seneca, the Roman philosopher. He said, the day thou fearest as the last is the birthday of eternity. Whew, that was, that's intense right there. 
But even though we look at every one of these different people groups and their beliefs and we see that every one of them are different, yet at the same time, they speak to this kind of unifying uh, idea, this unifying testimony that we all believe, we all feel like there's something else out there, something beyond this life and our death. He has a quote in his book where he just says this, anthropological evidence suggests that every culture has a God-given innate sense of the eternal, that this world is not all there is. And I think we long for that, don't we? We long for heaven. Matter of fact, when it comes to preaching, that's my favorite thing to preach about, all right? Whenever I told uh, uh, Steph that I was, was going to talk about heaven a little bit, she's like, oh, that's your favorite topic. Tim said the same thing. Oh, that's your favorite topic. Yeah, well, we're going to touch on heaven today. We're not going to spend all of our time talking about heaven and unpacking it, but, but we're going to touch on that today because that's where Paul goes in the text as he begins to challenge the church. But what he finds as, he, as we dive into, into, into chapter 15, what he finds in the church, what he's hearing from the church is that, that they have forgotten some of the gospel. They have forgotten some of what their belief is founded upon, what the message that he has brought to them. And what he has decided, what, where we come to in, in chapter 15, is that they need another reset. And this time they need a reset on the gospel. They need a reset on the gospel. And sometimes we as a church, we need that. In our own lives and even as a corporate church, we need to reset the gospel, get back down to the basics. Because as we look at the world around us, we see the world, we see everything that's happening in the world around us. It's so easy to get really transfixed on, focused on the hardships, the challenges, the darkness, the craziness, all the things that we see happening in the world around us. And that can leave us feeling, uh, having feelings of fear, having feelings of anxiety, uh, having feelings of despair. Uh, you know, doctors are saying in this time of COVID and in this time of all the other craziness going on, that, that the levels of anxiety across our nation are, are just out the roof because we get focused on everything in this world and this life. We, we're, we find ourselves watching the news and we, we watch the videos in our social media stream and we, we read the op-eds and we listen to the talking heads and we just get so focused on everything that's negative and where everything seems to be falling apart in this world. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I think as a people we need to be informed, we need to know what's going on and even be involved in what's going on. But if that's all we focus on, it can really overcome us. And there are times where we need to find the little on-off button and turn it off and refocus and be reminded of what it's all about. And I believe that's what Paul's trying to do here in our text. Matter of fact, as you read through a lot of Paul's letters, uh, reading through the New Testament, he was writing lots of letters to, to churches, and the churches that he was writing to, they were struggling. They were in times of darkness. They were in times of despair. Uh, some of them were even fearing for their own lives. And, and what you would find him do is often he would call them to reset and refocus on the eternal. Get, get focused back on, hey, we have an eternal home in store for us. And we see that over and over again. You go to Colossians chapter 1, 4 and 5. He says this, uh, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and, and the love that you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. 
and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. He says, you heard about it in the gospel, and it's that, that hope that you have in heaven that is, that is propelling you to serve and propelling you to love. It's, it's their hope in heaven. And so here he's commending them. He said, hey, church in Colossae, good job. You're staying focused. And we can see it, and we're hearing the stories of the impact that you're having because of your hope in heaven. You go over to Philippians uh, chapter 1. There, I think Philippian, the Philippian, Philippian church was probably his, his favorite church, one of his favorite churches, it seems. But he says this in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 21 and following. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. He begins off just saying, hey, look at my example. To live as Christ, as long as I'm living on this planet, uh, living in this world, have this life, I'm living for Christ, whatever he calls me to. But to die is gain. Hey, <laughs> if I leave this life, if I die, hey, I'm going to heaven. It's gain. All right? He keeps on going in the text. He says, if I'm to go on living in the body, that, it, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ in heaven, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so he shares with that Philippian church, here's what I'm wrestling with. I so bad want to want to go and be in heaven. I mean, you can't, you know, this you can't scare me with heaven. We had a gentleman after first service that that uh, came up and shared that that he was just on Friday diagnosed with with lung cancer, and he's like, I just want you to know this. He goes, but you know what? I'm fine. I'm at peace. And I said, Yeah, we can't scare you with heaven, can we? He goes, Nope. You know, he was, he's, you know, he's fine. He's good. And that seems to be where Paul's leading them to. He goes on in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 there. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. He's reminding them of their citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He says, hey, remember, our citizenship is not here. We are just temporary residents on this planet right now. One day we're going to step into eternity with Jesus, which means forever, and it's going to be awesome, and we're going to have new bodies, a glorious body. And as a matter of fact, in our text today, that's where Paul's going to take us. He's going to spend more time talking about the glorious bodies that we're going to have for eternity. But then one of my favorite texts is over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There, towards the end of his letter to the, Thessal the church in Thessalonica, he's given them some, just some final encouragement. And, and here's what he tells them there in, in verse uh, 13. He says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have died, those followers of Jesus who have already passed away. He says that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. The rest of the world, the world who doesn't have Jesus, has no hope. When death comes, it, it, it's final. It's the end. And there's this question of what's, where do they go? What do they do? And just like that study that Randy shared, that we shared at the beginning from Randy Alcorn, it's a, there's always these beliefs, but it's kind of like maybe. But we have this defined, definite hope. And Paul's reminding them, hey, those who have gone before you, they've stepped into that hope. 
And then in the next several verses, about three verses or so, he begins to describe what, they, what that day is going to look like when Jesus comes again. And he describes it. He says, number one, don't forget about the gospel that Jesus died and rose again. And one day he's coming back again. And on that day when he comes back again, the dead in Christ are going to come with him. Their spirits are going to come with him in the sky. And then he says, and the first people who are going to raise are those who have died. Their physical bodies will rise and meet their spiritual bodies and they will be transformed. They're going to receive their glorious body, their new body. And then he says, those of us who are still alive, if we happen to be around still, we too then will go and meet them in the air and, and receive our glorious body. That's going to be a crazy day, an awesome day that we can all look forward to. And then, and then Paul comes to the very end of that, verse 18, he says this, therefore, because of all of this, because of this knowledge of knowing that Jesus is going to come back and we're going to get new bodies and it's going to be awesome. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. These are the words that when we're facing trials, when we're facing challenges, when we're hurting, when we're discouraged, we go back and we're reminded this world is not what it's all about. We have an eternity to look forward to. And we need to continue to encourage each other with those words. In his first letter to, to the Corinthian church that we've been walking through in this whole series, uh, Paul is addressing, he's been addressing struggles in the church. They've been struggling with all kinds of things because of the culture that they are within. Instead of them uh, becoming more like Jesus, they tend to be, it seems like they're becoming more like their culture. And the, and the godless culture around them is, is seeping into the church. And so in chapter 15, he, it's like he, he is putting forth this effort to bring back their hope. They have lost their hope because they have lost sight, lost focus on the gospel. And that's where he begins at with them. He takes them directly to the truth of Jesus. If we're going to reset, and we're going to reset on the, on the gospel, that's where we've got to start. We've got to start with the truth of Jesus and who he is and what he came to do. Because if we're not careful, and every one of us are susceptible to this, if we're not careful, we will trade the truth of Jesus for a lie. Because this world is constantly barraging us with lies, telling us things and ways that we ought to live, things we ought to do. And so Paul begins to reset their focus, re-aim them, refocus them towards Jesus. Look at verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There he says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He says, hey, let me start here. Let me remind you of something because I know you know this because I'm the one that preached it to you, <laughs> all right? I'm going to remind you of the gospel that I brought to you. The gospel in which you stand as a church, as believers. This is the gospel that we, we build our lives upon. It's the foundation that we build a church upon. He says, and by which you are being saved. Notice there is a present 
progression going on here. You are being saved. It's not past tense when you were saved. It's not future tense when you're going to be saved. It is a process of being saved. That every one of us is the idea that when we step into a relationship with Jesus, when we give our lives to him, we, we are buried in baptism with him to rise to a new life, Romans 6, that when we step out of that, we are stepping onto a path, a journey where we are continually growing in our faith, continually growing in that relationship with Jesus. And so we are being saved as we follow after him. He goes on and says, if you, if you hold fast to the word, there's this condition about it that, that we've got to continue to have faith. We've got to hold on to that faith. We can't let go of that faith in order to have that salvation. Skip on to verse, no, just go to the next verse, verse 3 there in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised to the, on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. He says, hey, remember, I delivered this to you as of first importance. Now, if you know very much about Paul, you know that, that preaching the gospel is what he was passionate about. Right? That's why if you back up into chapter 9, verse 16, there he says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. It was like a fire in his bones. I mean, he just he had to get it out. And so everywhere he would go, whenever he'd go to a new, new town, new city, new synagogue, he came in preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus. And so he says, remember, I brought it to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins. And he walks them through the testimony of, of Jesus, that he, he died for our sins. He, he was buried in a tomb, and he rose again three days later. And he clarifies, he says, he's bringing some clarification here, okay? He was, he was, his dead body was laid in that tomb. You know, some people believe that his body, that he didn't really die on the cross. And he just, they put him in a tomb and he was still kind of alive. And then he revived himself and pushed the big rock away and got out. But he says, no, he died and they laid him in that tomb. And then three days later, he rose again. And then he appeared. He appeared to others. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the disciples. There are witnesses there of his resurrection. It was not a metaphorical resurrection. It was not a spiritual resurrection. It was a physical resurrection. Jesus rose from the grave. Look at verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He says, hey, he didn't just appear to the apostles. He appeared to 500 people all at once, and some of them are still alive. So in case you're doubting this, go, go over there and, and talk to Chuck and talk to Bill and go talk to Nancy. You know, they were there. They saw it. They saw him. So we have these eyewitnesses. You know, some people say that whenever he appeared to the 500 that there was mass hallucination taking place. That's, a, that's some good drugs there. Anyway. But then he said he appeared to James. You know who James is? James is the brother of Jesus. Do you know what James did? He became one of the leaders in the church, one of the key worshipers of Jesus, his brother. I don't know if there is a better testimony than Jesus, than James, the brother of Jesus. Because what would it take for you to worship your brother? 
<laughs> I mean, come on. But that's what James does because he saw his brother come back to life. Paul's reminding all those in that, in that church, hey, we know the facts. We know this happened. And we can trust in him. And so Paul, he says, let's get back to the reason why we are all here. Let's get back to the basics, the very reason why we, we come together. Jesus. That's what we're to be about. And again, we need to be reminded of that because we as individuals can get focused on so many different things. Even churches corporately, we can get focused on different things and lose sight of Jesus, the very reason why we've gathered, the very reason why we come together and worship and sing and, and open this word. It's all because of him. We stand on the truth of Jesus. And we need to be reminded of that just like that church there need to be reminded. So Paul continues to go on this vein. He, he actually goes a little deeper as he begins to talk more about the very resurrection of Jesus. And begins to unpack that. Because when we come to verse 12, we figure out why he goes deeper into the resurrection and, and describing it. If you look at verse 12 there in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? It, it seems that there are some in the church, that Corinthian church, that, that have uh, decided, chosen, believed that there is no resurrection of the dead, which is a teaching of some, uh, it's a Jewish teaching of a sect of Jews that uh, seems to have seeped into the church. And Paul's bringing them the question, how can you believe that? After everything that I've said, after all the testimonies that I've shared with you, all, all the eyewitnesses, and you still believe there's not, no such thing as a, a resurrection? Really? That's crazy. He goes on, verse 13, 14. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, let's get this straight. All right, if that's what you want to go with, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If there is no re resurrection, we are wasting our time. All right. Because it's in the resurrection that the teachings of Jesus was validated and truth of the prophecies about him were validated all in the resurrection and if that did not happen then why are we here he goes on verse 19 a little bit further down if in christ we have hope in this life only we are of all people most pitied if our hope ends with death in this life and, and all we were doing is coming here and singing songs and reading from a book and getting along, trying to get along with others. And that's it. It's a waste of time. He says we, we should be pitied above everybody else. If that's the truth, if, that, if there is no such thing as a resurrection. But then there's verse 20. <laughs> But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He says, oh, but we know. I just outlined it for you. Why? But we know that is a fact that he did rise again. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning he is the first one to receive his glorified body. Everybody else, all the other followers of Jesus, whenever Christ returns, they're going to receive their body then. We'll receive our body then. 
That's when that's going to happen. But he was the first one. One day, his resurrection is a promise that one day we too will rise again. We too will have an eternal life. We too will have a, a new body just like Jesus. Now, over the next several verses, uh, like 30, uh, he begins to unpack even more about the whole idea of our resurrected body. And he begins to compare it between uh, our body paralleled with Adam of the dust and our new body compared to Jesus, the heavenly man. And he unpacks that. He goes through there just talking about the differences between uh, our earthly body that is falling apart and, and doesn't work right and, and compared to this new body that's going to be amazing and awesome and a glorified body. And then we come all the way down to verse 54, and he's kind of wrapping up that whole section whenever he says this, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Yeah, yeah. When the, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when, when our perishable body Anybody got a, a perishable body? Yeah, yeah. It, it's falling, but my neck was hurting this morning. I sat there and read. It's still hurting. Anyway, uh, you been there? You, I mean, they're falling apart. I mean, it's, uh, the older I get, the more I'm realizing that. And you're there too, you know, except some of you youngins who think you're awesome. Anyway, um, you'll get there. But we're going to trade these bodies in for a new body, a better body that's going to last for eternity. And in death, he goes on, death is going to be swallowed up in victory. That's good news. Death, the idea of this death being swallowed up in victory carries the idea that death is gone forever. It is absorbed into eternity. Death will be no more when we step into eternal life. Every one of us have, probably every one of us have tasted death. Somebody we love, somebody we were close to has died, and we've stood over the casket, we've stood over the grave, we've been there, we've experienced the hurt, and he says, no more. Death is swallowed up. Going on, verse 55, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Death, you thought you won. You thought you won on that cross, but <laughs> nope, Jesus came back, and you lost. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Have you ever been stung before? I got stung last week by a yellow jacket. Inner thigh. Yeah, it hurt. I stung back. He and all his buddies are dead. Okay? <laughs> Guarantee it. Death stung Jesus with the cross, but Jesus stung back. He defeated it. He defeated sin. He defeated death. Listen, every one of us deserve that death. Every one of us have sin in our life, right? And he, because he went to the cross for us, that sin was conquered. That death that we deserved was conquered. And there will be no victory in death. He goes on, verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's present tense. Notice that. It's present tense. It's, uh, he didn't give us it back. Give us it. Give 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 us the victory back then. It's not future tense. He's gonna give us the victory when all's said and done. It is 
He gives us the victory. You know, one of the wonderful, most wonderful things about being a follower of Jesus is that every day we can come into communion with him. We can come back into relationship with him and, and we can lay out our sin before him. We can confess that before him and it can all be wiped away and we can walk away victorious every day because of what he has done for us. That's good, all right? We don't have to walk around with, you know, drooping our lips because, oh, man, I failed again. No, Jesus paid the price so that we can live every day in victory through him. And that's why he says that in the present tense, he get, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Every day we can experience that victory. And then he closes off with verse 58 here where he says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers... Therefore, whenever he says therefore, he's looking back. Therefore, because of all these things we just talked about, the gospel and Jesus and all that he has done and our new resurrected bodies and, and he conquering death and sin, but therefore, because of all of these things, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast. Do not shift from the hope that we have and the truth that we have in him, but hold on, stand firm in that no matter what comes your way and always keep on serving Jesus. Never stop. Keep looking for the opportunities that he puts in front of you every day to serve him, to make much of him, to love like Jesus. Keep on making much of him. Don't stop serving. And he ends with that. Your labor is not in vain. Do you know that what we are about as the church, as followers of Jesus, when we serve and we, when we love on others like Jesus loves on them, when we do that, it's because we are a part of an eternal cause. You know, the greatest thing that you can do in this world, in this life, this temporary existence that we're living out right now that's very short, the greatest thing that you can do is help somebody step into eternal life, to help them find Jesus and to step in to find that hope and to find that relationship with Jesus so they know without a doubt that they have eternal life. That is making an eternal, an eternal difference, and that's the greatest thing that you can do. Listen, this is a crazy world we live in. We know that. But in this world, we've got to continue to stand firm and keep on serving no matter what. Listen, Paul is so concerned. He's concerned about the Corinthian church because he knows that if they, if they let go of the truth and if they let go of the hope of the resurrection, then they lose hope. They'll be discouraged. And they may not even hold on to their, their faith in Christ. And so he takes them back to the beginning. And the same can be said to us. If we lose sight of it, if we let go of the truth, we too can find ourselves letting go of Jesus. Even though we have this sense inside of us that, that there's something beyond this life and, and eternity uh, that, that's waiting on us, even though we have that, we still have this tendency, don't we? Us focusing in on everything around us. Focusing in on this life, focusing in on this world, focusing in on our, our current comforts and desires. And we forget about Jesus. So like the church in Corinth, maybe today we need to reset. 
We need a reminder. I think it's really hard for us to maybe wrap our head around this whole idea of eternity and eternal life. I've asked my buddy Zach to help me out with a little uh, object lesson here to, to maybe help us get our head around that a little bit. But when we think of, we, we constantly think of life uh, in this here and now, right? I mean, you know, we might get 70, 80, maybe 90 years, maybe 100. I heard somebody 120 uh, the other day. But anyway, um, and so it's, it's hard when we live in this very finite time to, to think eternal, no beginning, no end. And so uh, what Zach has here is a little roll of toilet paper. Thank you, Zach, for bringing this up. And uh, so this roll of toilet paper is my, uh, my example of eternal life. Now, some of you, you think, that is like the most awesome illustration of eternal life ever, all right? Because your roll of toilet paper never runs out in your home, right? Okay, that's because your mom always changes it, or your wife. I know the guys don't. Um, by the way, are you over? Never mind, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, this is eternal life. It keeps on going. Now, now, where's your life? Well, our life starts with this one little square, all right? We get one little square. The 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years that we get represented in one little square. And then we step into eternity, and it just keeps on going, all right? Now, I know if we keep on going, we're going to get to the end, and it blows my whole illustration. I get that. Eternity keeps on going. God keeps changing the role. Anyway, um, now, isn't it funny, isn't it funny when we think about our life as this little square in comparison to all of this uh, eternity, isn't it funny how we get so wrapped up in our square, right? I mean, you know, we got those teenage years right here at the beginning, you know. Well, that's a, that's a lot, isn't it? You, woo, you know, it takes a lot, of, a lot of your time there, that little half an inch. And, and then, we, you know, college, and then we get a career. And so career, maybe it, that takes that, that whole middle part there. And we work and we work because we want to work towards what? retirement, which is about that right there, that little spot right there. Though I hear, you know, it just seems like every time somebody retires, they make it about two years and then that's it. Because um, then they hit the little perforated line and that's it, right? You know, um, but we get, we get so, we work for so long to get to this, you know, little, little spot here of retirement, and then we get kind of old age where you can't even travel anymore, but you're enjoying the retirement still, and then you get to the perforated line, wherever that happens in your life, whatever brings it along, and that's the end, and you step into eternity. If you're a follower of Jesus, right? If somewhere along your square, along your little timeline here, in your 60 to 70 to 100 years, wherever you end up, somewhere you make a decision to follow Jesus, to receive his free gift of grace and step into that relationship and into that, uh, that, uh, the, the, the existence of that eternal reward, and you step into that, if you've made that choice. And I pray that you have. I pray that you do. Because if you don't, and you get to the perforated line. Your life comes to an end. There's no eternal life. There's no eternal life in heaven. You're separated from that. And you step into eternal life in hell. Because in your little square, in your little time, 
you never made that step to follow him. What are you doing with your square? <laughs> Thanks, buddy. You did awesome. Give Zach a hand. Thank you. I'm going to sell that to the highest bidder, by the way. So anyway, um, it's, again, it's so hard for us to wrap our head around eternity. I know a roll of toilet paper isn't probably going to help a whole lot, but we get so focused on our little square, our little life, and the circumstances, the little daily circumstances that happen that are just, boom, they're like, you know, James says, our life is a vapor, here one minute, gone the next, boom, and we step into eternity, and we get so wrapped up in this, and sometimes we just got to step back, and we need to reset, and we need to be reminded that it's really all about Jesus, and it's all about what he's done for us on the cross and that he rose again and that one day we too are going to rise and we're going to be with him forever in an eternal existence in a place called heaven. And that's where I could really get fired up and start preaching when we start talking about heaven and how awesome that's going to be, but we don't have time. But I want you, I want, my prayer is that everybody who is here today knows without a doubt that you've taken that step, you've ta made that decision that you are following Jesus and you will one day without a doubt step into eternity, not because of how good you are and how great you are, but because of how good he is and what he's done for you on the cross. In this journey of life that we're all on, where do you go? Where do you run to to find your hope? What brings you hope? Where do you keep, what do you keep on going to to find your hope? Do you go to the things that are temporary? Do you go to the things that are just temporary satisfaction? Or are you running to Jesus? Maybe today you need a reset because in Jesus alone we find our hope. Nowhere else and no one else in Jesus alone.